I am Major Robert Rose, and welcome to Thinking Inside the Box, the podcast of operations group at the National Training Center, Fort Irwin, California. Thinking Inside the Box brings you best practices from the Army's experts in combined arms operations. Today, we have brought together our fire support trainers from Wolf and Bronco team for a conversation on counterfire. Artillery has caused the majority of battlefield casualties since the Krupp guns of the Franco-Prussian War. Today, Wolf Team's Lieutenant Colonel James Johnson, CW3 David Brown, and CW3 William Woods with our Brigade Fire Support Trainer, Major Thomas Stevenson from Bronco Team, bring their experiences from the National Training Center to discuss lessons on counterfire and how to conduct proactive counterfire. So we're open with Major Thomas Stevenson with what are the observed trends of counterfire at the National Training Center? The top three that uh, that we usually see here is, is one, units do not prioritize counterfire essential fire support tasks, and they do not cease loading on battalion missions in order to prosecute counterfire. Number two, battalion fire direction centers uh, do not prioritize the queue according to the zone priority. Critical friendly zone is a priority one, and a, a call for fire zone is priority two. And uh, units are not pre-clearing call for fire zones and uh, using quick fire nets to reduce the two in the sensor to shooter chain. And then uh, uh, number three, units are not pre-clearing call for fire zones and uh, using quick fire nets to reduce the the two in the sensor to shooter chain. Chief Woods, can you uh, expand on that at all? Yeah, so I think it's important to kind of ensure we understand how we frame the problem. So in in the counterfire realm, we really have two sides of the coin. The first one being counterfire, the second one being proactive counterfire. Uh, and I think it's important to understand that counterfire overall provides the brigade combat team a commander with joint fires in response to enemy fire support systems uh, as they're required. But that is very reactive in nature. And so a lot of the trends that we observe here at the National Training Center kind of show that units are more reliant on the reactive nature of counterfire versus the proactive nature of counterfire. So on the opposite side of the coin would be the proactive counterfire, which is us specifically going after the fire support uh, system to include their C2 sensors, platforms, and logistics before they can engage friendly forces. Uh, Ultimately, this generates multiple dilemmas for the enemy commander uh, and allows for us to engage the enemy in a time and place of our choosing uh, versus theirs. So anytime we could get into the enemy's decision-making cycle, it's a win for our side. Um, And so some of the trends, uh, as Major Stevenson just articulated, Units just, we, they don't place an emphasis on um, zone management, specifically the call for fire zones or uh, the critical friendly zones. Um, FA battalions prioritize just the first mission that is in their box from a fire direction center standpoint, uh, which delays our ability to attrit the enemy. Uh, and that has second, third order effects. Uh, from the proactive side, um, ultimately uh, organizations struggle uh, to utilize pattern analysis to assist with synchronizing uh, their detection and delivery assets. Um, They do not target fire support, high payoff targets uh, with all their available assets, both organically and in the joint uh, realm. Um, And then a lot of units struggle to have their FA Battalion S2 integrate within the BCTs 
uh, intel warfighting function uh, to focus uh, field artillery intelligence on how we'll how we could target uh, this fire support system uh, proactively. Chief Brown, uh, can you do us a favor and highlight why reactive counterfire is not a viable option for training units at the NTC? Even in our doctrine, the quickest time we're required to, you know, process a fire for effect mission is something like three minutes and 30 seconds or three minutes and 40 seconds. Whatever it is, exactly, it's more than the displacement time of many of the self-propelled threats you're going to face here. So it is a... You know, reactive counter counterfire, primarily counter battery fires. You know, it is a method. It's not the preferred method, um, but even the quickest units are going to struggle to catch displacing self-propelled artillery here at the NTC. Not only that, Chief, uh, our enemy systems also outrange us, so uh, we're already at a disadvantage. So unless our systems are already at the flot, it's likely that we're not even going to be able to engage those enemy systems with our brigade's organic systems, which means we have to go higher. And depending on priority levels, we might or might not get a higher asset uh, to engage that, uh, that, that enemy firing unit. And uh, that also adds to our timeline, too. So the likelihood that they're still going to be there when we shoot at them is low as well. The range ends up being an issue for that as well. I mean, it's the bottom line is they outrange us, so their their logistical nodes are also outside of the you know they're generally behind our shooters or their you know the enemy shooters, so their sustainment is behind that. So it also it it, it boils boils down to range right now. No, so I think you bring up a good point. Uh, so what is the solution uh, when we recognize that uh, uh, we need to execute proactive counterfire? Uh, against assets that are out of our range, or let's go with a uh, straw hard line, so to speak, uh, beyond the CFL. Uh, so what are you seeing in terms of the uh, targeting working group and targeting in general that addresses that uh, the problem of range? Well, the targeting working group is the venue to get after that problem. It's probably, you know, the only, well, if not the only, but the best working group that actually synchronizes operations, maneuver, intel, fires. Basically, it's the venue where the commander can see what hire is doing for us. Um, and people normally uh, talk about that in terms of shaping. If you actually get specific in terms of your target sets, you can quantify like, hey, what exactly we need our hire units to do for us. And again, the targeting working group is the venue where that occurs. And again, if you're facing an enemy that outranges you that's beyond the division CFL, again, that is the the working group, the venue, the time and the place to actually synchronize that coordination to go to division and neither ask for assets. Well, number one, it helps you set your priorities. You can allocate the assets that have been, you know, distributed to you. You can ask for allocations in excess of your assets. A again, it's the one-stop shop, so it can't be, you know, the working group that falls off the battle rhythm. It's, you know, the working group where we have to get after uh, this problem set. Yeah, but I think that that was, you know, it's very interesting, you know, you mentioning how units need to improve on not just trying to target that system, which can often displace within three minutes, targeting those ammunition stores, the logistics, the C2, that bit of proactive fire. And I think it's an interesting trend that you're bringing here is really looking at the enemy system holistically and targeting it. Yeah, and I, I would... I would agree that ultimately brigade commanders have to identify that counterfire is a brigade problem set. It's not a fires warfighting function problem set. It's not the counterfire operating sections problem set. It's not the FA battalions problem set. It is a brigade problem. 
and the brigade staff has to be invigorated to tackle this problem from the beginning, receipt of, of mission through the military decision-making process, and then all the way through as we transition into current operations. And I agree completely, the Tarting Working Group is the one working group that would best facilitate the integration of proactively getting after uh, the enemy's fire support system as a whole. And so observations, both of us have, have a few rotations underneath our belt at this point in time. And I have yet to observe the counter fire operating section doing any real analysis and feeding it as an input to the targeting working group. And that includes pattern analysis, uh, maintaining and transitioning the sensor to shooter using all available organic assets. Um, and as I mentioned before, uh, the FA battalion and their role with integrating into the either the BCT intelligence uh, cell or into the targeting working group itself to create a clear picture uh, over the last 2448 of what we've seen the enemy do to employ their fire support capability. One other thing to add to is like doing this proactively through the targeting working group allows us to align assets on our timeline as opposed to relying on the enemy's timeline. So yeah, it's easier to line up division, finite division assets that we don't have a lot of on our own friendly or divisions timeline to strike them proactively than uh, receive a, an enemy fire mission and hope that there's something at division that's freed up that can engage that target for us. I think Chief Woods you know, brings out a great point that this is a brigade-wide problem, not just for the fires enterprise, but with what Chief Brown was saying, what Major uh, Stevenson was just saying there, if you're trying to destroy an enemy's uh, integrated fire system, as well as you know, looking at holistically for the C2, the logistics, that a lot of that's going to be beyond the brigade CFL. So with the division as our tactical unit of action under MDO, how do brigades you know, incorporate those division assets, understand, you know, where they fit in the division sync matrix with those assets. Have you seen any success with that? Yes, there are challenges and opportunities and, you know, friction points. But good units, number one, in my opinion, adhere to a battle rhythm. They attend battle rhythm events, you know, either their own or divisions. So, um, and that seems like, I, I don't want to make that seem like faint praise. Again, doing small things well translates into doing big, bigger things well. Um, but number one, just holding yourselves accountable to your own battle rhythm, not getting desynced or overcome by events. And number two, actually attending the division working groups. Again, you're going to have an allocation of assets, you know, some sorties, some GSR rockets. You're going to get those things. So the best units go to division. First of all, they, they use all their allocations. Um, and they find things in excess of their allocations to nominate to division. And they nested with, you know, the division HPTL and make the case that, hey, division, we need you to do X, Y, and Z for us because it's beyond our range. It's beyond our UBL capacity. It's beyond our weapon airing capacity. Bottom line, they give themselves an opportunity to make the case by going to the division working group. And they go prepared having had their own working groups beforehand. So again, I know, I mean, it's tough. Timing's tough. But again, the best units find a way to make it happen. Chief, yeah, and I think that's a great point because like brigades need to understand that they are not just fighting their own fight. They're part of a division effort, which is part of a core effort. And that when they're developing their battle rhythm, it needs to nest with divisions. And that if they, you know, 
are trying to get that support from division. They need to understand where they fit in its priority of effort and when they have you know, the assets that they will need. Gentlemen, really what we're talking about here is uh, shaping the deep fight and, uh, and identifying those targets along with the CFL. Uh, for units that are successful in identifying the need for proactive counterfire, when in the rotation do they start to plan for it, i.e. conduct of the targeting working group? During RSOI, sir. Well, ideally, the best answer is always, I would say, at home station before you even get to NTC on whatever training glide path you have. But during RSOI, now if that's RSOI day two, three, or four, I mean, as long as it's during RSOI, I would say, sir. So what I, I tend to recommend and you can't always have the primaries available for that first TWG. But the, the, the further you kick the can down the road, uh, the less time that we're going to be able to get after this stuff proactively. My recommendation to the targeting officer is to hold your first targeting working group right after mission analysis. After mission analysis, that's when we have probably the clearest picture we will through the planning process. And not everyone needs to attend the mission analysis brief. And so while your primaries are in the mission analysis brief, can you get the AS2, the AS3, the alternates to be able to attend a targeting working group and get your first set and rep at uh, that process? And I think that that targeting working group, if done properly, will help feed the rest of the military decision-making process anyway. So typically, I, I recommend first TWG being conducted during or after the mission analysis brief. Chief Woods, yeah, thank you for that. And, you know, especially talking about mission analysis, I think one thing that, you know, units really need to consider is their rear area, the uh, brigade support area and all of the, the capabilities that it provides. How are you coaching units to uh, protect those capabilities and increase their survivability? From an indirect fire standpoint, which is really the the, the biggest threat to the rear area, we don't have assets to allocate to those rear areas for their own defense per se. However, uh, if we start in the protection working group, identify those areas we need to protect, and those areas we need to protect should be uh, protected with a critical friendly zone, which will then generate a, a reactive counterfire mission uh, for for that incoming round at the BSA or BEB headquarters, anybody else in the rear rear area. And it, it also, like reactive counterfire, even if we don't shoot it, still generates a lot of intelligence that now we can we can slip that back over to the vice slip it back to the FAO, and he can use that information to help in the next cycle of proactive counterfire so collecting all that data is is almost just as important as, as shooting reactive counterfire as well yeah the one point i would offer is that the targeting team needs to include um the protection oic in a targeting working group and if he or she is not nominating areas to be covered as zones to the uh, counterfire officer, then we need to extract that information. Um, so there's a push-pull dynamic, but I, w- I don't want to say typically or normally, but it's very, very rarely do I see the protection OICs participating in the targeting working group. And with CP survivability being a big thing, um, not just for you know the rotational units here, but a big thing for the Army now, it, it's of primary importance that that individual participates. So as Major Stevenson said, um, indirect fire is the greatest threat to Army CPs. So we need to have the protection OIC in the targeting working group helping us get after proactive counterfire. And uh, you know, command post survivability, it, it certainly doesn't have any easy solutions in the 
the solution to it, I mean, it's complex. It's a, you're not going to make your command post disappear, but through dispersion, through not giving just any high payoff targets obvious to the enemy, mixed with proactive counterfire as well as reactive, I mean, that's the way that you can make it tough for the enemy to have that high payoff target. Gentlemen, so if a unit was about to come to the National Training Center, what do you think that they should focus on when it comes to counterfire? Well, I'd say the two biggest things during the conduct of a targeting working group that would help units or inform units in getting after proactive counterfire are the enemy event temp and the commander's guidance for fires. Those are really the two data points that would drive the the resource requests needed to, number one, well, to detect and deliver against uh, the enemy's indirect fire um, systems. Again, the event, enemy event temp and the commander's guidance for fires. So if you're coming here, event temp, and Commander's Guidance for Fires. And then finally, any resources you would recommend that uh, units read to help them with counterfires? Yeah, so the warrant officer answer is going to be doctrine. But beyond doctrine, uh, the 131 Alpha community uh, quarterly produces uh, the target tier. Uh, and OCs here at the National Training Center, even the Joint Readiness Training Center, write at length about some of the items that we've discussed here today. And so, that would be one of the things that I would offer up. Go to the target tier, even if you're not a 131 Alpha, if you're in the fire support or intelligence uh, warfighting function, there's a lot of great material specifically on proactive counterfire uh, that helps get after some of what we discuss. And I would offer that up as something that units should probably review uh, that could help their transition here to the National Training Center and be successful. Thank you, Chief Woods. We'll put a link to those articles in the target tier in our show notes so that you can read those before coming to the National Training Center to prepare, to prepare yourself. And thank you to Wolf Team as well as Bronco for joining us for the show on Counterfire. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out on uh, Mill Suite to our POCs in Wolf and Bronco team for additional information on Counterfire and to help you prepare for your rotation at the National Training Center. Thank you for listening to Thinking Inside the Bots, the podcast of operations group at the National Training Center, Fort Irwin, California. Mm-hmm.